Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work Out Point Podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. It's Tuesday. Tuesday! I'm feeling real giddy on this Tuesday. Bring in like the Tuesday vibes. Unlike any other Tuesday, actually. Because you are alive. Megan, tell our listeners what happened this weekend because it was one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. I don't know if I would start with cool. I would say maybe like bonkers, horrifying, weird, all like mixed into one weird stew. That's how I would describe it. But I'm alive. <laughs> You're alive. So, you have to say it that way. Like that's how it feels. I've been like rocking this energy all weekend and now into the week and it's just rolling. Yeah, you've had some major sound of music energy where your like, arms are out and you're in the meadow basically everything we're doing. It's pretty remarkable. I'm like just feel the wind on my skin, feel the drip of sweat down. I'm like feeling everything to the T and it's a little weird. I'm, <laughs> I'm just like tripping on the wind right now and it's great. Just tripping on the wind. That needs to be a new swap shirt. Okay, so what happened on Saturday? Okay, so we went hiking on Saturday. Or actually, I went hiking and you sent a long run. It yeah. was really cool. I was excited to see you go out for this long run. We were outside Jamestown, which is here in Boulder. It's like a half hour away. It's kind of a remote area. Like I think we've seen very, very few people. We've probably done this like 20 or 30 times. Almost yeah. seen no one out there the entire time. Yeah, it's pretty damn empty. It's one of our secret spots. No one go there. Um, actually, no, swap, swap listeners can go there, but no one else go there. Yeah, um, it's, it's a special spot. But so was hiking. About a mile and a half into the hike, Addie and I are just like meandering along. We were hiking pretty slow. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I see this moose come flying downhill, like absolutely rolling 30 miles an hour towards oh my us. God. I came around a turn and it just absolutely surprised me. Yeah. And the moose is being chased by a husky, which weird. <laughs> and it took me like, I, I wasn't even like processing everything yeah. that happened and was like, holy hell, I got to get out of here. So I dove to the side into a bush somehow like just without even thinking about it just without it was like split instinct like yeah. that was just like my first reaction was like get the heck out of the way and I somehow like tucked and rolled because I have a nice baby bump going on yeah. and so I like didn't do a belly flop onto the bump which oh, was no. pretty clutch yeah. I was like kudos Megan that was a good athletic move and like out of the corner of my eye I saw Addie bolt the other side direction and the, the husky stopped chasing yeah. and then the moose went and like went right after Addie and oh it, was, it was it was horrifying yeah so our 10 year old dog diverted this moose away from the pregnant mom um and so yeah what happened next so Addie is just i mean i saw her out of, like you know split out of the out of like you know the corner of my eye and then i just didn't she was gone yeah and she was gone for like 15 minutes oh and god. it was horrifying because like i it was like one of those things i was like oh my god i'm alive baby bump yeah. is okay i didn't do a splat right onto baby bump's face um and but then it was like just the feeling of loneliness because like all of a sudden Addie is gone and i just panicked yeah i like went bananas i was like yelling and screaming in the forest and then 15 minutes later she came back Aww. and she was doing like one of those sprinter jogs looking yeah. like she just ran an all-out mile <laughs> and i it's so weird not being able to talk to dogs yeah because i was like you know not to be able to like hear what she like is thinking or like vocalizing inside and i went nuts i like gave her so many treats <laughs> hugged her and it was like the best feeling seeing her return was Addie proud of herself does she have that like really high tail that she sometimes gets when she's really proud she looked exhausted yeah she was also shaking and looked a little bit like she just like saw her life flash before her eyes but she did she did look proud of herself at the same time well it's very cool because um you know Addie is almost 10 years old and she hasn't vanished now since she was a puppy like she stays by her side for everything even when we have big animal encounters like we've seen mountain lions we've seen things like that not had any issues Addie stays close she stays smart um but she waited for 15 minutes to come back to you so one that was probably an epic chase and two I mean I feel like Addie must have 
been trying to keep the moose away. Do you think so? I felt like it was an intentional diversion. Um, yeah. And she also came back wet and there was like no water that I was <laughs> aware of in the general vicinity. I was like, Addie, where did you go? Yeah. All I, I mean, this moose was running so fast. Like, I feel like me, like seeing the moose oncoming was like standing at the finish line of the Kentucky Derby and being like, I'm about to get steamrolled oh right now. And so I can, I was just picturing Addie, like doing Michaela Schifrin type stuff in the slalom yeah. and just like going between trees. And that's how she was like outsmarting the moose. Um, but I mean, it was so cool what she did. So this whole time I've been fetching Addie since she was a little dog and I've been doing it with chicken nuggets. And who this basically the message here is chicken nuggets save lives. She was planning, she was just training for survivor. Yeah. Like to, be a, to be a survivor. The it's whole amazing. time. I used to do it with chicken McNuggets. Now I do it with impossible chicken nuggets because we've upgraded in this house um, and don't want to support any bad practices. But I think one, you saved the day. You were so smart. I'm kind of worried that maybe I riled up the moose earlier, but I had my music on too loud and didn't recognize it. And I had passed that husky and that husky ran with me for a quarter mile. So that might've also contributed, but I'm so proud of you for diving out of the way. But most of all, so proud of Addie for stepping up and coming to the plate. I always knew she'd be a good companion. Maybe this is why we got her in the first place. You know, she's the baddest bitch. Yeah, that she was is. like the baddest bitch move. And I just like kept telling her that. I'm like, Addie, you a bad bitch. Yeah. I was so proud of her, but it also made me reflect like, dogs are just such good creatures. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. How as humans do we deserve them? Is the husky a good creature? For well, actually this is interesting because like, so immediately after the, like Addie came back, like, you know, I'm like very shaken up. I yeah. had so much adrenaline and I'm like, shit, I don't know if you're supposed to have this much adrenaline when you're pregnant. Like yeah. this is probably not a good thing. But what did flash into my mind was the fact that in one of our early podcast episodes, yeah. someone had emailed in asking about a fear of moose. And you basically were like, like, fuck moose. Fuck moose. I stand by it. <laughs> and you're like, moose are not a big deal. You'll be totally fine. And I kind of tempered that. I was like, you know, don't go poking at moose. They're real big and dangerous and scary creatures. Well, then on the follow-up on the Patreon podcast uh, the other week, I also did the same thing with mountain lions. So I'm a little bit worried now about everything else we've talked shit on on the podcast coming back to attack us. I like, know, right? We kind of earned it. I mean, it was basically the mission statement of the podcast. I think it was one of the first three or four episodes that it was a big message was, you know what? Fuck moose. Everything else is cool, but moose, not scared of them at all. And I'm like, how ironic is this? But to get back to that point, it wasn't the moose's fault. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the moose was running for its life from the husky and Addie and I happened to be these like pizza, like, I don't know, pizza centric creatures just yeah. like standing in the middle of their chase. And so it wasn't like it was this like premeditated moose attack. We just like were in a super weird and super unlucky position. And so I feel like I don't really blame the moose. I blame yeah. the husky, but not the moose, but dogs are still the goodest. Well, so. I don't know. My thing is come at me bro <laughs> i don't they don't stand a chance i'm so happy you're okay i'm sure the listeners are too um and yeah also wanted to think about other things that might attack us because that we've talked shit about um the very first one i'm worried about is sketcher's shoes someone is going to come and sketch your shoes they're going to be really fast because even though i talk shit about sketcher's shoes apparently some people like them we've gotten lots of emails about it oh did we really yeah yeah i don't tell you about this um and they're gonna say you know this is for sketchers bitch <laughs> the other one so we did the hydration episode where we like reviewed hydration products last episode and after we finished i was like david was that too hard on tailwind yeah like i feel really really bad that could be a small company um was you know saying tailwind is aptly named because you know sometimes it gives athletes the shits and you know someone with like like jock full of tailwind might come after us now. Yeah, we did have someone uh, that said we saved them because they start their stomach started to turn this week and they realized it might have been the tailwind. They switched and had success. Ah, but, a positive. So yeah, I mean, but it, that being said, we have seen a lot of athletes have success with tailwind, so it's not all bad. We yeah. have just seen some horror stories. Um, and then also Hoka 
the the company because I've hated on them so much for discontinuing the Speedgoat Evos. Which is a good thing. I mean, they made such a good shoe that we're disgruntled that they're discontinuing it. So I feel like that's like hating on them in reverse. That's <laughs> true. We're, we're trying, reverse haters. We're, Hoka, we are trying to sell tens of thousands of shoes and you won't produce the shoe. If you produce the shoe, we promise it'll sell out. Like you can sell it for however much you want. You can go like full speed land and charge $370 for this thing and it will sell. We're just telling you, put those fuckers on the market again. But we're also creating a black market for them. That's so, true. I mean, oh yeah, I've seen on eBay, they go for so much now. I don't think it's just us though. Perhaps we are driving a little bit of a, a market shift. We're responsible for inflation just through Hoka Speedgoat Evos. I am picking up a pair of Hoka Speedgoat Evos for you tomorrow from an athlete who found them at a sale. And it's a little bit like a drug deal. I'm like yeah. meeting him in the center of Boulder and I'm like, I'll meet you there. I'll grab the Evos. And <laughs> you're really excited for it. I'm so excited. I'm like jonesing for my Speedgoat Evos. My last pair uh, died just recently. So I've been I've been dying many small deaths recently. Though we do have some interesting shoe updates to give you. Might, might not be this week. Might be on the Patreon podcast. Um, then the next one, which is a little bit of an aside, is athletes that don't take their rest days. Um, so I've been thinking about it a lot. And when it comes to training philosophy, I think we're really flexible. Um, and we'll find different things that work for everyone within the science. But the one place where I have like a no exceptions rule is in taking rest days. Um, sometimes, almost always it's weekly. Sometimes it might even be once every 10 days. Um, but rest days are non-negotiable. And some people do not want to take their rest days, especially at first after they join SWAT. That's been a deal breaker sometimes for athletes yeah. joining SWAT. And we have to stick firm to our principles on that. Like we think it's super important for, for performance and longevity. And so like, if we weren't honest with athletes and didn't stick with our principles, like we wouldn't be good coaches. And so that's been, that's sometimes a really tough conversation, yeah. but I think we also have that conversation respecting the fact that athletes, you know, a lot of trail athletes and road athletes, we coach all types of athletes are free spirits. And that's yeah. a beautiful thing. And I think we can have like, we can have those firm points while also cultivating that sense of like free spirit sort of training. Yeah. As long as we don't like fuck over the endocrine and nervous system. Exactly. In the process, yes. Which well, is, it has to be like free spirit has to fit within the, the constraints of like rest, recovery, adaptation, sending it, you know what I mean? Like it has to, it has to fit within that framework. Yeah. Well, in the framework of scientific reality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but I think that a lot of the times, quote, free spirit is aligned with things that are actually like, you know, disordered. Disorder. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I was like, I'm just you're, you're, you're just you, gonna help. You look like you were just like priming to say like four sentences that describe that one word. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm just gonna cut to the chase. It might not be like, but I think it's true though. And I think, you know, we have these discussions on here. We have just very open conversations with love. Yeah. And I think sometimes it is important to check in on that. Is like where where does the need to cover large amounts of miles or large amounts of training come from? Yeah. And for some people, it truly, truly does come from this place of like being a free spirit and wanting to be on trails. And sometimes that might be mixed with, or even maybe that started with or originated in a point of disorder. And how do you separate that? And how do well, you navigate and that? And I don't think it's a bad thing as long as we're aware of it. Exactly. And yeah. he's like, we're all, we all are motivated by, you know, an amalgamation of things that isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it can be the source of our great powers as long as we don't let it take control. Mm -hmm. um, so rest days really come in. Um, and we actually got a really good question from the Patreon listener, which is, how do you talk to athletes that go off plan, um, whether that's with a rest day or other thing? And so this is where the balance comes in. With free-spirited people, I think we're generally like, okay, it's about the general spirit of mm -hmm, the plan, exactly. not the specific numbers. So as long as the general spirit stays true, which is, you know, you can move your long runs, you can change the miles, you can, as long as things are balanced, um, that's okay. But once things start to get unbalanced or disordered and the disorder is starting to take the wheel and we see it, 
we have to step up. And that's something I've had to learn the hard way because that's not where my personality thrives. And those can be really hard conversations. And I usually start, and I think this actually, this topic is helpful because I think hard conversations happen. It's not just addressing athletes that yeah. struggle to take rest days or follow the plan. This like translates to the business world. It translates to so many other types of discussions. I usually start by just saying, hey, this is a hard conversation. And I'm going to like start with that up <laughs> you start front. with that? Yeah, yeah. And I'm awesome. like, but I'm here like, I'm here to be direct and honest with you. Like, yeah. otherwise this wouldn't be like a strong coaching relationship and I want your best interests. And I also want you to like have fun and cultivate that, like that free spirit. Yeah. And so I think it's really about acknowledging those. And then oftentimes I think it's also about like getting into like, what are those underpinnings? Like, where does this come from? Yeah. Especially if it's something that's becoming consistent and becoming a problem. So I think it's just about direct communication. And you're really good at that too. I mean, it's been really hard and it's re resulted in some really negative situations for me in some of my worst coaching experiences. And I feel like those athletes would say very different things about them that I was trying to convey. But, you know, I think it's a balancing act for every coach, every leader that does anything. So I got a question um, from an athlete that is a top coach themselves. And they were asking, how do you deal with this type of situation? And I wrote this email in response and I wanted to read it, not because it's the right answer, but because this was the product of me having like years of dismay and struggling with confrontation. So this is my answer. What I've learned over time is that it's better to be unconditionally honest and direct in all circumstances, even if it might cause a person to leave coaching, or if we're not talking about coaching, uh, to leave whatever your thing yeah, is. Business mentorship, um, insert, insert, yeah, yeah, adjective, noun there. Well, speaking of insert, even relationships. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you have to use your judgment not to be hurtful. But if our goal is to help people as much as possible, sometimes that means uh, calling them out on their shit. I never have had to do it with you, of course, since you're a dream athlete. This person really is. Um, but many others on the team know that side of me. I usually do it in sandwich format, statement of uh, unconditional support, direct criticism, statement of love and appreciation. In fact, some of the bad experiences I've had with former swap athletes stem from this type of problem. Either I don't call them on their shit and they don't perform, or I do call them on their shit and they rebel. Um, so I really empathize with what you're going through. And it was them struggling in their own coaching journey. And I think what's really cool is I think the relationship grows deeper. So like if you directly have this open and honest conversation and maybe calling them out on their shit might be a more appropriate way to phrase yeah. that. And an athlete responds really well to it. Like those are oftentimes what I see like elite top athletes. That's how we see them handle this situation. And it gives me a lot of excitement because I know it's like they want what's best for their training, but they're yeah. also open-minded to be able to like take this into context and, ad and adjust and adapt. And then if that happens, I'm like, yo, this is the best. <laughs> you are an elite athlete. Like that's an elite athlete mindset. And I just actually had an athlete do that. I was a little nervous. I like, yeah. read it in her log and I was like, oh no, David, I don't know how this is going to go. And she responded beautifully. Yeah. And I was like, what a baller elite athlete. And I think it's really cool when an athlete responds positively to it too. Yeah. The hard part is I know personally, I often respond defensively if I'm uh, criticized. So, you know, I also try to give athletes patience to respond to like process something over a few days or even yell at me. Like, I don't care how they feel about me over time, as long as it leads them to the place they need to go. But that's, I think it's something for everyone to think about and all they do. Uh, and then the final thing is the whole diet Coke uh, industrial complex might come after us because we talked about the other week, we are all about drinks that have calories in them. Your drinks should not have zero calories uh, as an athlete. And so uh, we chat specifically on diet Coke because I don't think, uh, you know, I think diet drinks in general are the exact opposite of what an athlete needs. So I'm, big, I'm a little bit worried about 
the Diet Coke monster coming out and attacking us. Well, we did uplift uh, Coke in a bottle. So yeah, Coke, yeah. Coke in a glass bottle, we like really, I shout it out. And I learned from our podcast listeners that it's actually a special formulation from Mexico. So I am actually tasting a difference. When, <laughs> yeah. I, when I say that I like the Coke in a glass bottle, I thought I was just being bougie. Yeah. I am like the opposite of bougie. And I was like, why do I like Coke in a glass bottle? This is really weird. <laughs> You're a little bit bougie with drinks sometimes, I think. Like you have a you have a refined palate when it comes to those sweet sodas. That's true. I like a lot of carbonation and a lot of sugar. I don't know if that's bougie. You like grape drinks. Oh yeah, you do. That's definitely not bougie. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna have the most fun episode ever today. We're gonna talk about Western states. This is gonna be almost fully devoted to Western states. The course, the athletes racing it this year, subplots, so much fun uh, to do. Uh, before we do that, some quick promos. The very first one is Patreon. We have started releasing weekly podcast episodes there, all bonus. So if you're not seeing those on the regular episodes, we get down and dirty on those. Uh, those we talked all about nike scandals last week and doping and really complex topics that i don't know if i'd be comfortable about on the regular podcast i agree and i personally love those discussions like it's a time we just are chill yeah and actually so our software that we use to record the podcast we for some reason haven't figured out how to edit with it and yeah. we don't usually like edit this podcast it's very rare that we'll stop and be like oh my gosh yeah. reverse we need to we need to talk over that uh but it's like purely us unedited and it's super fun so patreon.com slash swap s-w-a-p uh best place to support the podcast and as always, if you can't afford it, message me and I'll refund so that you can still access it. And then finally, Athletic Greens, athleticgreens.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. This has been a game changer for basically like most podcast listeners, I feel now. Um, the amount of emails and messages we get all over uh, social media about this is pretty wild. Um, basically, all it does is it replaces your multivitamin. So even though it might feel a little bit expensive, um, it's not because it's replacing everything else you need to take, safer sport. I swear by it. We had a couple athletes this weekend that had like international class performances. And I'm like, is that the athletic greens? I don't think so, but you've gotten so good so fast. I'm a little bit thinking it might be. And whatever you do before you start taking athletic greens, get a baseline on your resting heart rate yeah, and your yeah, HRV yeah. because get ready for a science experiment. And we can almost guarantee that's going to change. I mean, we've seen it change in a large number of athletes and change for the better. And so get that baseline data because it's kind of fun. And they're also a cool company. I like them a lot. Athleticgreens.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. Um, okay, so before getting to Western states, we wanted to do a quick check-in on health stuff because I know a lot of listeners are really invested. Megan, how is Baby Bump doing, especially with this endorphins you got going on? Baby Bump is feeling good. Yeah. Week 19, actually, getting yeah. on, like, I, I go at 39 weeks in terms of being induced, so, like, Wednesday or Thursday, I'll be at the halfway point. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm it's so like, pumped. it's like a run. As soon as you reach the halfway point, like, the turnaround point, on oh, and all downhill. So chill. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're almost there. Except it's kind of the reverse, because it's, like, all downhill, but I, like, continuously grow outwards. Yeah. So it's, like, I'm just, like, accumulating those burrito babies as I run downhill. How do you feel about that? I, the more that you go through this process, the more I think I would be such a terrible wreck. If I ever got pregnant, I would be the worst pregnant person that's ever lived. How are you feeling? I mean, I think one, like body changes are just yeah. like natural in pregnancy. And I feel a little gross in my skin, which I think is normal for like every pregnant woman. And also like, weight changes and yeah. i feel like throughout my life i've had like weight fluctuations like as a field hockey player as a track athlete you know and so like i feel like i'm a little bit more adept to handle that but yeah. it's certainly uncomfortable yeah. and you know it's fun to have a bump growing because it's like tangible evidence of baby's yeah. health and that's great uh but it also comes with like boobs and butt and thighs and like expansion of every other possible like organ and skin system out there. so you're saying i like it a lot yeah oh yeah <laughs> um no i mean I think it's perfect for you in some ways because you've always been a really big fan of cause and effect. It's like, I take this action and something else happens. Um, and basically pregnancy is one big cause and effect where you're like, you're feeling kicks now. 
Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Actually, um, so we, on the Patreon episode that we recorded last week, we say huzzah when we do this yeah, episodes, yeah, yeah. and it's a really fun way to like change it up. And as soon as I said huzzah, baby kicked. Oh and my I was God. like feeling up this Patreon recording powers. That's so amazing. Uh, so what's the size right now? Uh, size is a stack of pancakes. Okay. Or a, a guinea pig, which is really cool. Okay. Yeah, I feel like those, I feel like sometimes like the animal and like um, food equivalent sizes don't always add up. Yeah. I don't know, it just depends. I feel like the food's dreaming big. Why? Well, yeah, I feel like my stack of pancakes is way bigger than a guinea pig. Your stack of pancakes is like a, I'm trying to think, like a, a pig. A fox. An actual pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like one of those big pigs. Actually, I don't know if you ever talked about this in the podcast. One time we were driving across, the, driving back to Colorado and we went through Bakersfield, California, I think on route, what's that, 60 down there or whatever it is, um, the, the southern route. Um, actually, it might be 70 down there. I don't know. Um, and uh, if anyone's ever driven through Bakersfield, you kind of know it. It smells like Bakersfield. And we stop at the cheapest motel because I used to be all about the places that are $29.99. And um, while we're there, the guy that was checking us in showed me pictures of his prize pig. And his pig was one of the biggest pigs in all of California that he's very proud of. And he did it by feeding this pig Carl's Jr. every single day for multiple meals. It was so, super impressive. So this podcast may mm -hmm. be sponsored by Carl's Jr. now. Oh, that'd be a good one. Yeah, we're going to have the combo of Carl's Jr. and Athletic Greens. Maybe you can actually sprinkle some Athletic Greens onto your, you know, Carl's Jr. double cheeseburger. And then, not, not to hate on Carl's Jr. though, because I feel like Carl's Jr. would be great for recovery. I actually haven't been there before, which I don't know how that's ever happened. Have you ever been to Carl's Jr.? I have not. But I feel like actually, as you're talking about that, that yeah. could be big wet food energy. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, because we talk about all the time how like a satisfaction bomb with yeah. a meal can really help and might as well just sprinkle some athletic greens on it for seasoning i feel like that pig's gonna be ready to win western states oh, is what yeah. you're saying yeah going full hog <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> oh, that's amazing okay so the most important thing of all health wise is last week we had an appointment are you okay talking about this appointment oh sure i'm an i'm an old book so okay. last week we went in and i think it was last tuesday and we had a full cardiac work workup for baby roach yeah. not mama roach for baby roach and um it all looked good so it was like i've been on you know i've had myocarditis i have these anti-ro antibodies which yeah. um have caused an autoimmune process in myself and can be a risk for neonatal lupus and um congenital fetal heart block in, yeah. in babies plus i've been on like so many immunosuppressants. They're like, let's do a full cardiac workup. And Baby Roach crushed it. And <laughs> but it was nerve wracking. Like yeah. going into that, I was like, I don't know what we're gonna see. I don't know what we're gonna find out. And so I had a little bit actually I was like pretty calm, cool, collected, but there was definitely like a background of nerves and anxiety. Yeah. My big takeaway as a non-doctor is that baby's heart was incredibly squishy. It made the squishiest sounds yeah. ever, but it was so satisfying. <laughs> yeah. We got to I mean the scan took a long time, like probably took an hour because uh baby just kept moving. Yeah. He was like zigzagging and somersaulting everywhere, like trying to set like strava CRs in the womb. And they were like, uh, we have the heart we had to get the heart in like one place so yeah. it took a long time to center it um but when we heard the squishes it was delightful well you know so i, I spent 10 minutes being just like ex in, um so happy that this isn't we're going to be hopefully healthy baby i mean this is the biggest hurdle we were worried that really worried about this um but then i spent the next 50 minutes being like we're never going to sleep again if the baby's already moving this much that's, it's going to be a nightmare yeah, that's probably true but i kind of accepted that reality at the start okay like i felt like i feel like i knew that at conception it wasn't oh, yeah. yeah it wasn't it wasn't until seeing you know baby roach move around I, I knew that early on okay um so that was really cool and what's also been cool is seeing you embrace your pregnancy swag what's going on megan dude i don't know what it is but i feel like i've just been 
I give like very few fucks about things that don't matter yeah. right now. And that's not usually my baseline. Like, I don't know. I don't usually have like a ton of anxiety, but I feel like normally I'm just a little bit more like tightly wound. Yeah. And I have not been like that at all. I don't know why. I think I think it's like baby just working magical powers in there. I'm like nothing else matters. There's a baby in here. There's a stack of pancakes working on growing in here. Yeah. Oh my god. The stack of pancakes give you superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. I see you advocating for yourself and just about everything you do. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know, are, do you think you're gonna be able to like hold on to that just as a mom or I, whatever? I hope so. Next? I feel like that's where like you know they talk about like moms just being like turbo bosses. And yeah. I feel like I have a long ways to go to get to that point, but I can kind of see the origin point of how that happens. Yeah. Well, speaking of powerful badass women i also wanted to give a shout out to you for coaching probably the best male obstacle course racer in the whole world right now vj jones oh, vj has been throwing down he but, is a good athlete it's wild yeah it's so cool i mean like one vj stepping up you know in in every way what a great athlete but two you know a, a woman coming in and coaching in that world I mean, that's not that common from what I understand. And I'm just so proud of you. It's so cool. I learned so much from you and I'm just inspired by you every day. Oh, thanks. Well, that's not something I thought about, actually. Yeah. It's funny, like I I probably coach, actually I probably coach 60% women and 40% men, yeah. but I never think about like the gender dynamics. I just coach. Yeah. And I'm I'm really grateful to VJ because he never expressed that as like, you know, a, a factor that was like concerning to him. And he just fully bought in and yeah. has worked to build his running economy in a way that has like, he was always a short distance beast and he literally raced the beast distance yeah. at Spartan, which is a longer distance. And he threw down in a way that he hasn't before at longer distances. And just seeing him like be open to that and to be open to that dynamic and open to like, you know, just trying a different style of training. I mean, he is so talented as an athlete, but also has that open-mindedness and flexibility that we kind of talked about earlier on the yeah. podcast. And that combination, I'm like, holy heck, what a great athlete. Yeah. So all women out there, you know, you put yourself out there as much as you can. Like, I think that there societal issues you were even talking about at the sports medicine conference that we were at last week there was a whole thing about you know women not coaching men enough like it's just not something that's encouraged societally nearly as much as it could be i totally agree and i think you know we're seeing it more and more where women are coming into the nba and nfl or even places that like you know historically women were never before but i also think the younger generations i think there's something and this actually this was talked about a little bit at the conference that i think the younger generations are just more open to it yeah. like it's not even taboo and i i feel like it's not taboo when i coach these athletes like it's just it's just a reality like it i i don't even like consider it but i think especially for younger generations. They're just embracing that more and more. And I hope yeah. we can start seeing that progress and start seeing that translate to actual statistics. Well, yeah, you're leading the way and I, I admire it so much. So thank you. Um, you ready for the big Western States preview Let's time? Let's do it. I'm so, this is like my favorite time of year. It's yeah. It's actually, they call it States Moss, right? Yeah, I think they do. So when I got into training and started to get into this world, I didn't quite understand like why everyone was obsessed with it. I know it. we were like shorter distance trail runners at first. Yeah. And I was like, why would you do this? Like, and I don't why, get it. Why care so much? Yeah. And now Western States is one of our biggest holidays of the year. It is the one of the event that I think we care about the most in terms of just as fans of the sport, not, not coaches necessarily because for coaching, hopefully we care about everything equally, but as fans, this is like our NBA finals, our world series. This is a Super Bowl. Yeah. It is so exciting. And I mean, we um, invest ourselves so much in, knowing everything about the race, everything about the course, everything about the athletes. So we thought, let's try something a little bit new. Let's really spend the entire episode breaking down a specific race, telling you about the people that are doing it, giving you some of our picks based on what we've seen, which Ooh, is going to be- this could be spicy. It's going to be a little spicy. We actually, we didn't review each other's picks. So I'm curious to see like what, what percent concordance we have on our picks. I imagine, I imagine it's going to be pretty high. I imagine we'll be close to 100% just yeah. knowing, um, I mean, 
I think I develop a lot from your understanding of athletes, but we'll see. It might be interesting. And we're going to dive into some science too. And then also I think Western states, like a lot of the training principles that apply to Western states apply to a host of many, many yeah. other races. And I think there's so much to learn at Western states. Also a lot of, it's where a lot of like top scientific and ultra running research comes out of, um, in addition to UTMB and other races. And so it's kind of fun to like break down the science. Yeah. Too. Well, I mean, you're not just saying that from the sidelines, you are one of the primary researchers that's done work at Western states. You are publishing on it um in a number of different things so megan thank you for leading the way scientifically i think um you can filter you can sprinkle in what you're allowed to sprinkle in throughout but you don't feel obligated because i don't know what's embargoed and allowed to be talked about right now so we'll go through that uh bit by bit i like that that was like four sentences of you like teasing something out but i will be having a bigger role in western states research ahead and i'm really excited for that along with some other mentors on my research team so yeah. it'll be great well emphasis on swag you deserve the most swag in the world and i'm so happy to be doing this with you okay so the first sexy science topic is actually from 2012 and i wanted to introduce this because um you know as we're talking about what this event actually entails I think this brings it into a physiological reality that is really powerful to understand why one reason why we're so obsessed with this race scientifically. And also, I love this study because it's scientifically really sound yeah. and quite rigorous. So this was a 2012 study in the Wilderness Environmental Medicine Journal. And okay, this is also why I love doing research in um, ultra runners because they're always willing to participate. Yes. And this this study shows it. So they had 216 of the 328 finishers in the Western States 100 in 2010. They did a post race blood test and they were looking to measure um, CK, which is creatine kinase. Um, and that's an enzyme found in skeletal muscle. And that's often, um, we, we generally use that as a proxy for muscle breakdown. And yes. Race. So, uh, creatine kinase is really interesting because you're, you know, measuring this breakdown and their general reference range goes up to 198 units per liter. Um, that's the type of thing that you'll see on your traditional bud tests, but get this, the average, uh, test of post-race of the athletes was 32,956 units per liter. Um, many hospitals don't even go above 30,000 on their measurement devices. And that's whopping. And there was a large gradient, as we would expect, um, in terms of participants. So 13 of those athletes had CK values over 100K units per liter, which is insane. Yeah. And then there was one athlete that had um, 264,000 units of CK, which is like wild. Yeah, that is so much. Like 264,000 CK, I feel like your blood is radioactive and just goes through the bottom of the test tube at that point. And to give more context for this, um, we've had experience with athletes where hospitals are very unlikely to discharge below 5,000 units uh, per liter if an athlete presents to them with symptoms of rhabdomyolysis. So uh, it, it basically says that all of these athletes essentially are above that range. Um, and I think that the really fascinating point here is that these super high values were not associated with clinical outcomes. So even though we're talking about outcomes or values that if you saw this in a normal person, you would be like immediately admit to the hospital, consider dialysis or something like that. Um, in an ultra context, a post ultra physiology context, actually, usually not that big of a deal, probably just clears naturally. This is the body's way of compensating for these big stresses. And that's why post ultra physiology is the like ultimate extreme location where human uh, physiology gets stress tested. And if you walked into an emergency room with a CK of 100,000 units per liter, yeah. a, like, a doc would look at you and be like, how are you walking? Like, how is this even possible? And that's why ultra marathoners are so cool is because these are athletes that are like walking around post, you know, probably like stumbling a little yeah. bit, like, you know, looking a little out of it, but like drinking Coke, hanging out, interacting. And 
ultra marathon runners, it's like wild physiology. Often in science, we actually study humans that do things to the extremes to yeah. understand like fundamentals of physiology and like how we can think about like perturbations and that, or how we can like understand more of it. And the moral of the story is we should study ultra runners more yeah. because the fact that ultra runners are able to handle this to me is a wild element of science. Yeah. I think it's where we learn the most about physiology and in, when it comes to exercise. Um, and it's why I love coaching ultras so damn much because this is physiology puts pushed to its absolute limits in ways that vary for each person. And there's a lot of decisions involved in how you do that and where you balance it. And you put it all together. And sometimes you can see things that seem magical, but have some sort of physiological basis. And so that's in coaching. What we're trying to do is prepare athletes for the magic while understanding their physiology. Um, so, you know, my favorite story about this, I, you know, maybe just one of these is um, in 2019, Claire Gallagher got caught by Brittany Peterson at mile 95 of this race or 94, a little earlier. And she proceeded to run the fastest five miles to finish this race ever. And not only the fastest five miles ever, she set the Strava CR for anyone that's ever done this even fresh. How is that humanly possible? And that Strava CR still stands. Yeah. I feel like no one better take that CR because it's like the Claire Gallagher special. Yeah. And it, to me, that is bonkers. I mean, and if you looked at her CK levels, um, you know, I imagine she's probably like upwards of 30,000. Oh, I assume. I mean, yeah. you know, that's one thing that we've seen is that those are not dependent on different variables. Like if you look back at that study um, that uh, we were talking about from 2012, there was no association with finishing time, age, gender, or running experience that everyone's unique physiology responds differently. It might not have any association with fatigue resistance. Um, so as we're talking about the 10 principles of performance at Western States and things people need to know, um, I would just caution to be like, oh, there's one size fits all. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, tons of sizes fit many. Uh, and the magic of coaching, the magic of athletes, the magic of prognosticating and predicting these races is trying to like read the stars. And we're looking at physiology but we don't know exactly what we're looking at from the outside. That's a great way to describe it. And science backs it up too, because we've seen all of these different studies that try to look at variables associated with 100 mile performance yeah. or performance in general. And, you know, it usually holds up for the shorter distances and then just wildly breaks down for the longer distances, which is so cool. But I think if you're an athlete racing Western States, I think that's even like cooler because yeah. there's often all this hype that we're hyping up people who are doing these like big miles, but it's also just so hard to know what works for people. And yeah. I think be confident in what you've done because, because like these unique things work for each individual like you don't have to follow this like western states textbook and we've seen athletes excel off of all kinds of training yeah and you know by excel we mean win um you know we've been fortunate to coach a couple winners here and it's the type of thing that western states i was i was reflecting on why it's so meaningful to me and i think part of it is my love of the sport and part of it is the amount of difference this has made in the trajectory of swaps history like initially this was kind of the proof of concept of swap was happening at western states in the top 10 and so every year we go back there it's nerve-wracking and you know some athletes do great some do badly and every everything in between but we're just so proud of any athlete for stepping up to that line whether they're in the top 10 or not so uh we're going to start with a list of 10 things about the course that will broaden out to ultras and, and running more generally and this is all adapted from the previous email um, and conversations we've had with athletes over the years uh so you want to do this let's dive in and let's start at the start of Western States with yes. the escarpment. <laughs> yes. So the very first rule is one, 
races can be lost on the escarpment climb in the first few miles. Uh, that seems wild because it's just a few mile climb. How can races be lost there? Um, but it's on a fire road and people are really tempted to go out and run fast. And so they get on the front of the Iron Fire uh, reporting at mile three. And it truly does not matter at all. In fact, it might be, I'd be interested if it's inversely correlated with final performance. If you look at the you know, the whole scope of runners. In fact, we should do this at some point because we have the escarpment splits and we have performance data. And it yeah. would be super easy to look at the two and look at the correlation. And I think I, we would probably see no correlation to inverse correlation would be my, but like we should really hire, we have a swap assistant right now who was crushing it yeah. and it's amazing and it's game changing. We should hire a swap research assistant just <laughs> to like dive into some of this stuff informally and help in, like inform our coaching. Well, I mean, given some of the things that you might be doing at Western States, perhaps you'll have opportunities to, to move forward in that. Um, you know, so the big principle here is that you need to avoid hitting your lactate threshold early in these races um, or LT2 if you use the, the more uh, nuanced you know, terminology. Um, because once you do that, your glycogen burn rate starts to go up and it really it's really hard for it to come back down. So even if your effort decreases after the escarpment or whatever early climb happens in your ultra, um, your burn rate is going to be a little bit higher the rest of the race. It's going to be tough to do the lipid oxidation needed to, you know, perform at your top level throughout. So keep those first few climbs easy. It's nothing can be good can happen there. Only bad things can happen. And there's tons of cool stuff that comes from the escarpment too. So there's usually a beautiful sunrise and we have, it, there's some like magical pictures of athletes turning around to face the sunrise yeah. and just like basking it all in. But I think that's actually an interesting proxy for like what's going to happen in the race ahead. Yeah. We've seen some athletes just just barge right past the the like um you know the majestic sunrise and just like keep rolling and i feel like actually the athletes that turn around and like take their time and bask in the sunrise at that point probably going to perform better yeah or at least like it, it emphasizes a chill in their mind mentality that is going to be helpful especially once it gets hot later i mean even last year tyler green finished second amazing athlete he was like mid-pack at that point of the race. And by mid-pack, he was like behind many of the top women. Yeah. And he went on to finish second in the entire race. And he ran so smart and so well and was clearly quite chill in the escarpment and it worked out well. Yeah. And, and I think history of Western States has lots of athletes doing that. That being said, some of the very fit athletes are going to be way below, they're going to be below aerobic threshold running up that climb. So, it, you know, it's not saying everyone needs to go slow. It's just saying, make sure you're paying attention to your own fitness and also the nerves, because once the nerves get going, the heart rate goes up, you might hit threshold quicker than you think. Okay. Number two, the high country, which we term as the first 30 miles of this race, it's at higher altitudes on trails, is much more difficult than you might think. I think sometimes runners that haven't done it are surprised. It is true mountain running. And I actually yeah. think that's a good thing. So Western States to me is this interesting concoction of all types of runners with all types of backgrounds coming in with the potential to perform well. So I feel like UTMB superstars can come to Western States and perform well. Road marathon yeah. superstars, athletes who are like classically more like trail and ultra runners can all perform well. But I think the mountain country is the one variable that becomes very important for all runners because yeah. like if you can't survive this first 30 miles rest of the race is, is gone yeah you know we we're talking about the science that at the end of the race muscle damage doesn't correlate with final results i bet if we could do a 30 mile split on physiological metrics we would actually see correlation with final results because oh, for sure if someone gets broken down or gets dehydrated early on uh they're going to be suffering a lot so the high country has a lot of hills it has some steepness but it's mostly rolling up high a little bit technical um be careful there quick feet patience fueling um don't get caught up in racing to the mile 30 point because shit is about to get real i was just gonna say the same thing i feel like we tell our athletes don't think about place at mile 30. That's yeah. irrelevant. In fact, like barely even think about place at Forest Hill. Like all that matters is, and we'll get to this coming head, is getting to Forest Hill feeling good. And that that means just like taking your eyes off of place early on. Yeah. And for yeah. those who don't, Forest Hill is mile 62 of this race. Um, so three, 
you can hike your way into the top 10 of Western states. Uh, that's a really important thing to remember that hiking is a, is a huge part of this race. I would put a caveat though on that. And I would say men and women are running so fast at yeah. this race that I think you can hike your, hike your way into the top 10. I don't think you can hike your way into the podium. Yeah. And when you say hike your way, you mean like hiking a lot of the uphills and running downhills with efficiency. Yeah. You're, yeah, not, for sure. you're not obviously like hiking and, I mean, the entire race. Yeah. We're saying this, but I don't, I encourage athletes to run most of it. You know, uh, we all, in SWAP, we're really known for running climbs. But you look at the history of this race, and one of the athletes that's had the most consistent success is Ian Sharman, who finished top 10, 10 years in a row at this race. Um, he was an amazing hiker and hiked a lot of the ups and was a great downhill runner. There's a reason he was consistent. Yes, he never won, but he got close. And, you know, I think it is emblematic of um, some perspectives that can work. And for some numbers on this, at, I heard a, um, a stat that at the Canyons 100K, someone like David Laney, one of the best runners in the world, hikes just a little bit, like 20 minutes of the whole race. That same type of athlete at the Western States 100 that's a really good hiker will be hiking for hours of it, the race. So it becomes much more important, even though the Canyons 100K is on the same trails and like the most difficult part of this race. So um, yeah, it's a really important thing to focus on. And I think also channeling the idea that hiking is an opportunity. Yes. Oftentimes I feel like athletes feel this letdown when they have to hike. And it's like, no, we, we've seen athletes do 13, 14 minute miles hiking. And there's a huge difference between 13, 14 minute miles and 19 and 20 minute miles. Or and 30 minute miles. Yeah, exactly. Know? And embrace that, like hike fast, hike with swag and be like, you know, this is this is an opportunity to do well at a race. It's not that I'm just hiking this climb. That being said, I don't know if Jim Wamsley ever hiked. So that's probably you know, true. But usually, I mean, Jim Wamsley, we're talking to an N of one there. Yeah, but maybe an N of three if we think about other people in his, his, in his yeah, camp. But. I mean, Drew, our athlete that finished third last year, barely hiked. So yeah. there's, you know, this is more of a, a generally applicable thing that applies to all ultras. Four, limit breaking on the downhills, practice relaxation. Um, so this is a really important thing at this race because after mile 30, after the high country, you start to bomb down steep canyons. I mean, there are parts of this course that are very non-technical, um, but very steep at like 17% for miles at a time. And if you've ever run in one of those, you understand that feeling of like your legs are gone after. Um, so in this race, you really want to limit the braking forces because those braking forces are likely associated with more muscle damage and um, more eccentric muscle contractions. And we've seen that specifically with braking forces being associated with uh, CK levels, with myoglobin concentration, um, with inflammatory markers, kind of gets back to that. It gets directly back to that CK study that we were talking about. Yeah. And so form matters in this case, like relax downhills as much as you can and not not breaking, um, you know, not panicking and just rolling with it. And ideally, it's a little late to talk about this now. Fortunately, you've done this with our swap yeah. athletes doing a lot of downhills and turning. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. If, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't done that, don't worry about you'll it. You'll be just, fine. You'll be great. Don't worry. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and there's actually a 2020 review article in sports medicine that goes through all the specifics. And fascinatingly, it did find that form, at least in a lab setting, made slightly a slight difference. So basically, don't overstride. Um, be really relaxed. Number five, the canyons, this part we're talking about, this middle section of the race that's steep ups and downs, are always hot, even when it's not hot. Okay, I talk about the Easy Bake Oven on here a lot. Yeah. This feels like being in a full-scale like Easy Bake Oven. Like you are actually cooking. I think there's actually a convection like element to how the heat works yeah. out there because of the, the nature of the canyons. And it is hot, unlike any heat you've ever experienced. It's a hard bake oven. Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's so bad. I mean, um, you know, and I think a lot of times people get caught up looking at the forecast for weeks in advance. I mean, we could do that now. I'm sure it'll be, it'll look warm, but it's always gonna be hot. Like it doesn't matter unless it's one of the very cool years. Like there was an anom one anomalous year where everyone went fast when it was like rainy, um, which would be delightful. I, I always think that that would be interesting. That being said, I want it to be hard for our athletes because that's where um, the training and fitness can really shine. And so um, prepare for that heat. And that really is all about how you manage your effort. Um, so if you've ever used a heart rate monitor, you can see that a hot day, 
just a normal hot day might raise your heart rate three to eight beats per minute when you're already heat acclimated. But as soon as you push beyond threshold or even just a little bit too hard in aerobic threshold, that might same effort might turn into 10 to 30 beats per minute higher. And if that happens, you're fucked. Like there's no saving your race. So, you know, managing the overheating process and your effort need to be key. But the cool thing about heat is, and we've seen this directly with athletes at Western States, they finish and they're like, I feel like I adapted to the heat as I went. Yeah. And I think that's actually a reality for a lot of athletes is that, you know, even though it's hot as heck out there, they're actually adapting as they go. Yeah. And you even saw that this weekend you did a it, it was hot here in Boulder and you did a long run. You're like, I felt like I adapted as I went. Yeah. I mean, I think that that might even be a more neuromuscular thing or just a mental thing. I think athletes are often early, like this is so hot. And by the time they get to Forest Hill, if they've paced themselves well, they're like, this isn't too bad, which points out like early in the canyons, don't waste your race there. Like it's very, I mean, there's been a, a history of people that are in the top 10 there and then DNF at Forest Hill at mile 60. Don't even get far than that or do, you know, death marches the rest of the way. So be super careful. Also heat mitigation strategies. So I've been talking to athletes this year about ice vests. Yeah. I think, you know, it's important at these races, like if you can save sitting in an aid station for 40 minutes, that's amazing. But if you take two minutes, three minutes and put on an ice vest, like doing that cooling mechanism for reducing the core body temperature can have a big impact on performance. Yeah, I'm gonna get, I, you've convinced me because my usual strategy is white arm sleeves that you can stuff ice down that you can take on and off. Um, sports bra for women, an ice pack for men. So like in a pack that you can put ice down, um, but not like the formal one that you would wear at aid stations. And then an ice bandana, ice bandana, absolutely key for everyone, no matter what. Um, and then no compression socks because, uh, they store water and can cause uh, trench foot in some people if they do. So be careful with that. But I like what you're saying about the formal, like things that you wear in aid station, like the actual ice vest. Oh yeah. It also looks really fly too. Like yeah. get some pictures of that. Like you're going to remember that it looks really cool. But I think the other thing is as you're doing these icing mechanisms, make sure you keep an eye on the water dripping down into your feet. Yeah. We've had athletes have get trench foot from that. Um, so make sure like if you can keep, um, you know, that drip from happening quite helpful. Yeah. And the important caveat, I'm calling it friend trench foot and Megan is helpfully, uh, affirming me, but it's oh, actually, it's, not trench foot. it's just okay. really wrinkly feet, but like like truly, Actually, people have gotten trench foot at these is, races, so it could yeah. be trench foot. Usually, it's not trench foot. Yes, but it's, it looks horrifying. Yes, um, yes. Either, either way, I've seen athletes do some wild things. Um, so six. This is related to that. Quick point: core temperature is connected to internal strain. So focus effort and strategy around avoiding overheating. Basically, this is all connected to the metabolic um, processes that your body uses to do these events. So if you're overheating, it's not just a problem of oh, this is a little too hot for me. It's a problem of oh, I'm going to start burning more glycogen relative to fat and oh, I'm going to bonk even if I manage effort well. So, um, you know, managing the heat becomes really important. And that's why you don't want to go hard in the high country because even though it's still cool at that point, that'll push your body a little bit closer to that edge. And then you're not going to be able to control it around mile 55 in Michigan Bluff, where you really start to see the carnage, like, you know, it's, if you look at the pictures on uh, each year, uh, you see a number of zombies and a number of fresh people, and you can tell kind of who's who. It's what you can tell immediately who's who. Um, and I think there'd be a really interesting study of actually measuring body temperature at Forest Hill and at Michigan Bluff and understanding like how that relates to race performance. And I think it does. And that's where the heat mitigation strategies come in and just become so important. Yes. And, and you know, this applies to all ultras too. So seven, 10 minutes in the first 50 miles is 100 minutes in the last 50 miles. I love those numbers. And it's so true. And actually nowhere is it more true than when you're following on Twitter and yeah. someone goes out really fast and you're like, oh, they're crushing it. And you're like, refreshing your computer every minute in yeah. the first like 20 miles of the race. And then you get tired through the day, you stop <laughs> refreshing so much. And then you realize like, 
people are just like, you know, the people that were, were in that early group could be miles and miles and miles behind. And it just yeah. doesn't matter at and, the start. I mean, this is something I said to everyone doing ultras. It's that, okay, there is some correlation between where someone's going to be at Forest Hill and where they're going to be at the finish. But that's just because of their fitness and how they feel that day. If we were able to totally control for that and take someone that is going to podium at this race and have them go out really easy and try that, um, they're going to excel even if they could have started up farther. The problem is we're just like, there's a selection bias of where you see people go. And I think Tower Green's race last year really exemplifies that of someone that raced truly, truly, truly smart. That being said, you know, uh, scared money don't make money. So put yourself out there enough to make sure you're not like leaving too much on the table. It's actually a great point too. And if you, your goal is to podium, you kind of have to be in the mix. Yeah. Like it's really hard to come from 20th place to podium. Um, it's, it's possible. It's been yeah. done. Tyler and, Green did it, but well, I think it's, it's challenging. I think a good example is Kat Bradley, um, did it in 2017 when we were coaching her. She went from 15th, um, at the middle or the beginning of the race all the way to first to win. Um, but that was an interesting year because it was very snowy in the high country. So and hot and then very hot at the end. It was like the perfect shit stew of events. So it slowed everyone down a lot. So it really worked. Um, so, you know, you might not be able to count on that, but it can work. And I think that's one place where paying attention to conditions does come in handy. Um, number eight, don't think about racing until Forest Hill. And if you can run to the river, which is at mile like 78-ish, I believe, or a little farther, um, you'll excel. So these next 16 miles, so, get, okay. First 30 miles, high country, a little bit tough, but not terrible. The next 30 miles, the canyons, brutal downhills and uphills, often very hot. This is where the race seem, seems to really unfold. But then after you get to Forest Hill, very runnable, gentle down for the most part, all the way to a river dunk. And the people that crush this race crush that section. And so that's where champions are made. And I mean, it's really hard because like champions are made there shuffling essentially, but if you can get there in one piece, you're good. You don't need to feel great. You just need to feel alive. And this is where the Iron Far tweets really come in. So yeah. Iron Far often comments on like the nature of how athletes are looking. And it's, sometimes it's like, they're smiling, they're waving. And other times it's like, they're looking like an absolute zombie. Yeah. And those are actually really strong predictors at Forest Hill. So get to Forest Hill feeling good. I mean, looking good is like overrated. Yeah. I often look like crap when I'm racing, but like if you can feel good and like somewhat look good at Forest Hill, you'll be set. Well, I think especially Megan um, and Brian at Iron Far are great at determining looking good doesn't mean you look fresh. Yes, exactly. Looking good means you don't look like you're, you've given up. Your zombie emotional. warmed over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think what we're talking about here is not feeling good because the point nine is related to this. Your quads are going to feel fatigued earlier than you expect, and that's okay. The point being, you're not going to feel great, probably. That's the nature of this course, especially your, your quads are going to feel a little dead. Um, but that's fine as long as you're mentally there, you're feeling still really invested in what's happening. Because I find that if people get to first heel, feel invested, as long as their physiology doesn't totally crap out on them, which is where coaching and training comes in along with luck, um, they're going to be okay. And so, you know, making sure you don't hit zombie status is essentially all you need to do. And then you're going to be fine because once you get there, it is basically all downhill. It's very hard, obviously, and it's glossing over a lot of difficulty, but it's where the magic happens and it's where legends are made. That's a great point. And also too, because at Western States, we've seen that athletes, like sometimes they'll go through this period of really feeling quite terrible and yeah. you can often rebound from that. And so I think like if the judgment comes in, I think that's where it takes a period of like feeling terrible and it causes you to become the zombie that just like can't come back yeah. from it. And so I feel like don't mix judgment into the like internal body struggle that's happening. Like let it happen, let it pass. You'll pr you, there's a chance you might rebound from it and yeah. like give yourself that chance because we've seen numerous athletes do it yeah. and it's just a part of like and racing these longer races so i want everyone to go to this race once because you go to forest hill and you see like humanity and physiology and training theory all coming together 
you are like, how is this person going to finish? And then they get up and finish in the top 10. It's like, whoa. And that's why it's such a magical place to be because you realize that these this this physiology is totally different and unique. Um, so 10, the final one, the uphills slow down for everyone. Aim to run the flats and downhills all the way to Auburn if you can. Um, and so this is where your ultra shuffle economy is related to your running economy. And know that if you're able to keep shuffling, you're moving faster than you think. And that's something to remember in all ultras. Just a few run steps at a time can go a long way. And shuffle with swag too. Like yeah. at times, like it might feel slow, but like moving and plotting and shuffling at this race gets you to the finish. Yeah. And it, you can do quite well off of that. And so again, I think it gets to that point of just don't judge. And a fast just person. keep moving, just keep on keeping on and one foot in front of the other and you'll get there. And that's why we focus on speed because we know that our athletes, once they have to, once they their paces start to devolve a little bit, it'll be a percentage of their absolute running economy and they'll still be going fast. Running economy, bitches. <laughs> yes. All right, let's go into the three subplots. Actually, I think these are really interesting. So the first subplot is, and these were kind of like determine the nature of how the race unfolds, yeah. is how hot will it be? And I think yeah. we, we've addressed this. Like, I feel like this was like a key in like the, the last 10 points that we addressed. But, you know, the difference between like 103 degree day and a 70 degree day is pretty massive. Yeah, and the difference between 100... Like a 103 degree and three degree day in Auburn is 120 feel, real feel in the canyons, and so that's very different than an 89 degree day in Auburn, which is much more seasonal and where it gets to like 100. Like it's totally different race dynamics. Like um, the the 89 degree day might reward someone going a little bit harder at the start. It'll totally change the elite dynamics, which will also change our picks. So um, this is a way to to kind of put us off the hook for being right on our picks. And it gets it gets really exciting. It's like we're gambling with the weather. Yeah, yeah. It's like throwing it throwing a new new factor are very vulnerable. So the second point is there's been some, we've had some speedsters going yes. out in recent years, and I think it creates a fun dynamic in the race. So Walmsley, so last year, um, Walmsley took it out from the start, ran so fast, and Hayden was hot in his heels. And Hayden, I think, is going to be a really strong pick for this year. And I'm curious, though, like how the race is going to unfold yeah. without Walmsley out there setting a blazing fast race. And will that change the, like, the competitive dynamic nature of the male race? And same with the female race. Like yeah. Beth Pascal last year took it out hard from the start. I remember watching that and being like, I don't know how that's going to go down. And yeah. it worked. She did great. Yeah. She ran an awesome race. But she's actually not returning this year to take her spot. And so I'm just curious to see, like, how it will unfold at the front yeah and i mean these those people a rising tide raises all ships and people have gone so fast recently and i think part of it is that you have this carrot out there that is just resetting what's possible and it's not it is almost like a race to the top and so you know it becomes important to understand this could have a totally different dynamic at the front of the race it's something that we're trying to prepare our pro athletes for and it's difficult uh final subplot Who's going to get COVID? And also who had COVID, yeah. I think is actually really interesting. interesting. So we are seeing super high rates of COVID right now in Colorado, California, other places across the US. And if you, I mean, I think COVID is going to be a reality of the life that yeah. we live. Like it's going to be a part of life. We're going to get COVID again and again and again. And our kids are going to get COVID and their kids are probably going to get COVID. I just assume that's like the nature of how this is going to go. But we've seen it a lot. And I think when you have a race like this yeah. on the line, like it's probably wise to wear a mask. But we don't know how the past COVID exposure might lead to That's present, also true present races. Yeah. Like there's no data on it. So if you got COVID in March, is that going to be affecting you now? I assume not, but we don't know. But in the heat, yeah. who and knows? with CK, so like actually interesting. So CK levels that create creatine kinase, the muscle breakdown that we were talking about. If you come in with an inflammatory process, if you come in with a sickness or an illness, it really exacerbates CK production and muscle yeah. breakdown. And so like if you've had COVID, 
in the well, if you've had COVID in the last two to three weeks, I probably wouldn't race. I would oh, no, just no, no. say yeah. that off the top of my head. But um, you know, I think even an in, in infection like early on can impact us so too. Wear a mask everywhere if you're doing this race or if you're pacing or anything like that. Like we masks actually do work. Um Megan was at that conference that we talked about this on Patreon. She did not get COVID despite being a lot of people got COVID like basically everyone I was around got COVID except yeah. for me. And I was like, Oh, this is not gonna be good. And my little pink at Canada ninety five princess mask had princess powers and it worked. Yes. I was uh, I was thrilled. But I mean, I think like you don't have to wear a mask forever, but if you're serious about this race, wear a mask traveling into the race, have your family do the same. Even at the, like, at the like athlete events. I mean, all that stuff, just don't mess with it because in the taper, you're, you can't do anything else. I mean, I understand if in May, you're just like, well, we'll see, I'm fine. Um, but now that you're here, you know, may, be safe. Okay, so the way we're gonna do this is athletes to watch and we're gonna take our bias out of the equation. We're gonna address it up front. Yes, um, so, you know, we have SWAP athletes, they're athletes we coach. And what we do every year is pick them to win. We pick them one through whatever. Um, and so we're gonna leave them out of the like specific picks that we might do later. But we have people we are exceedingly excited about. Um, and one other thing I wanted to mention before we get into it is this brings in an important point for the whenever you prognosticate or talk about people it's like for most of the people we're going to talk about later we don't know shit like we don't know anything other than what's on strava and ultra sign up and maybe some like rumblings um with these athletes we're talking about in swap we know life stories histories backgrounds and we're like why do you give a fuck about strava when you know all this stuff and um so it, it means that doing this with people that we know and love not just athletes we coach but everyone else who, that we're going to preview that we love a little bit of bullshit, but we're trying to make this fun for our listeners um and try new things that's a fantastic point also we might leave people we will for sure yes. leave people out we can't we just can't cover the in you know the remaining time that we have left we can't cover everyone and you know we've had people that have been left off of like you know highlight like race highlights or race free showcases before and they've been really upset well, so we're not doing this intentionally you know, Iron Far does a preview contest, and in 2017, Kat Bradley was selected on one out of 11,000 entries, and then she won. And that was her boyfriend. Yes. Um, and it just points out that, like, you know, you're wrong as soon as you start this process. And if you're listening and we don't mention you, use that as motivation, prove us wrong, and then come and bitch slap me. And then send us an email. Yeah, we yeah, would yeah. love to showcase that. Oh, podcast. no, I mean, it's the yeah. coolest thing ever. I mean, there's a reason that Michael Jordan's always like, they disrespected me. It's a really good source of motivation when things get hard. Like, we're all about love and joy and all that. But at Forest Hill, if you need to use a little bit of hate and disrespect, that works too. Throw it down and then send send, send us that feedback. Be great. Okay, great. So we're going to do some rapid fire on our athletes just to let you know that they're total badasses, even as we leave them off of some of the other stuff. Uh, first is Leah Yingling. Uh, oh my gosh, Leah, so amazing. She just threw down at Canyon's 100K. Um, she is incredible. She's had a great, so she's raced the bear a bunch of times. She's had great experience. Anytime the race gets longer and longer and longer for her, I'm like, she's going to excel. So classic yeah. fatigue resistance and she's great in heat. She's really just, I feel like this year, stepped the F up and yeah. has done an incredible job job racing. She's so fit, so ready. The mindset of a, a rock star. So I'm really excited. For yeah. Her. Anyone that leaves her off their picks is making the wrong decision. <laughs> um, next is Katie Asmuth. Um, she's the absolute best. She's, uh, she was fifth last year. She is, um, and she could have, I mean, if the race had gone just a little bit differently, she could have been second at that race. Um, she is one of the best athletes in the world. She's crushed her training recently. Just Saturday, she did a run in 108 degree heat, um, in felt great the next day. Um, all systems go for her. Um, and more, more importantly, Katie's the most wonderful human and root for her no matter what, because 
she, the world needs Katie. And if you don't, if you don't follow her, follow her now because she's a joy. Also, I think we didn't really talk about this, but I think there's a lot to be said for having experience at Western States and yes. not being a rookie and coming back and building on that. And I think for her fifth place in her rookie year is bonkers. That's so good. And I'm really excited to see what she does. Like when she's learned from that experience and she's going to be great. Yes. Uh, next up Zoe Rome, uh, was creative, badass boss, uh, follower on, we, we talk about Zoe all the time on this podcast. Uh, she's a delight. She's one of my favorite humans in the world. She's crushed her training block fully. Um, and I believe she's going to be wearing Hoka speed good Evos at this race. Oh, the Evo swag. Also purple too. She loves purple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Zoe is the most glorious human and I am so giddy about her race here. Uh, next up, Allison Baca. Postpartum. Postpartum. This is wild. Also an incredible downhill runner. She's won Silver Rush 50. Um, she, I mean, talking about Zoe, just won a 50 mile overall. Allison won Silver Rush 50. She's best downhill runner I've ever seen. Um, she, former professional cyclist. Um, watch out for her. Uh, she was not, I, I didn't see her in the Iron Far preview and I'm like, mistake. Um, oh, I want to give a special shout out to Anna Olson. Got uh, in through the lottery. Incredible. She's a doctor. She has, she's also postpartum. All oh, these postpartum women yeah. are rocking. It's amazing. And she got faster postpartum. Yeah. Like I was like, David, what is happening? She is like throwing down, like her fitness is unreal. It's really She cool. makes me want to get pregnant and get faster. <laughs> yeah. um, but she works all, I mean, she's just the absolute best and her race results have gone off the charts. Um, next up, Lucy Bartholomew, um, such, I mean, most uplifting person. I love her deeply. Um, she has a history here of being, I believe, second or third um, back in 2018, then um, going through some ups and downs. This race is the ultimate celebration of that long journey. And so, Lucy, we love you and um, can't wait to see you in person for the very first time. I know. I've spent so much time hiking with her on the, our iFit treadmill. And yeah. it's like, I just can't wait to give her the biggest hug in person. Um, next up for women is Cecilia Flory former fifth place finisher was just second at the Italian 100 K champs, um, blazing fast. It, just don't sleep on her. She's amazing. And again, another person we're getting to meet in person for the first time. Um, we've been across the ocean with um, COVID and that to me is the, I'm just giddy about the previous meetings. And similar to Katie Asmuth with that Western States experience, I feel like that's powerful coming into this. And I think she's, she's really built well. So I'm excited to see her throw. Yes. Um, next up, Drew Holman. Drew. I love Drew. <laughs> Drew is Drew's the best. I yeah. have no words. I'm speechless. That's how much we love you, Drew. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that we love Drew and that he's going on top of all of our picks for everything, including president of the United States. Um, he doesn't put all of his training on Strava, which I think is like a silent killer move um, because everyone you know, underestimates him a little bit. But I do want to point out that uh, a couple of years ago, he did a time on Lion's Lair Climb here in Boulder, which is the ultimate test piece. It's 20 minutes long. It's not that technical. Um, and it's a rolling trail. And he set a time that has been untouched by every single professional runner that's ever done it. And I'm, by professional runner, I don't mean tr just trail runners. I mean road runners, marathon runners, 10K runners, 5K runners. This guy isn't just tough. He is the most talented motherfucker I've ever met. And, you know, watch out. And I think what's cool too is, is he has that time, which is like a 20 minute, less than 20 minute segment. Yeah. Yet his fatigue resistance is off the charts. I imagine if he repeated that segment at the end of Western States, he would get pretty darn close <laughs> to that. Like it would be scary, especially compared to like the Delta that his other competitors would have. Yeah. So I think that's the cool thing about Drew is his wild fatigue resistance. Yes. Um, next up, Tyler Fox raced into it through Bandera. He's an incredible hiker, which I think is really interesting at this race. And it's kind of the perfect race for him. When we first started working together like five or five years ago, I said to him, hey, Western States, just on your long-term radar, this is everything. Uh, he's developed this incredible coaching business. He's an, one of my favorite people in terms of talking about day-to-day -day life. Like we'll talk about inflation and then talk about running training theory. Um, I learned so much from him. And again, I'm just excited to see him and give him a big hug with a mask on. And he always consistently shows up at 100 mile races and does well. And I feel like for him, I just have like a lot of trust and faith in his 100 mile process and he's got it. Yeah. Veteran. Um, and then Trevor 
Fox? Fuchs? <laughs> Fuchs. It's Fuchs. I just like to mess that up intentionally. But it does remind me of in Silicon Valley, um, one of the characters points to the the guy and he's like, his way of saying, like affirming this guy is like, this guy fucks. <laughs> and so whenever I'm saying it, it's like, Trevor, this guy fucks. This guy Fuchs. Um, and so he actually had some health issues um, last year. So I don't want to go into those details because it's not my story to Sarah. But it does point out that in this time of COVID, we sometimes see unexplained things happen occasionally. And, um, you know, we're still unsure of exactly what happened here. Um, but it points out that, like, you never know what's going to happen. That being said, this guy is one hurt 100. He's so strong. Um, and I can't wait. I feel like hurt 100 is actually a really good benchmark for Western states. Yeah. Like, given the heat, given the toughness, given, I mean, the train actually is not really at all similar. But yeah. I feel like the heat and just like the overall nature of the race uh, parallel quite well to Western yeah, states. Yeah. And that's, oh, so that was our general overview. We have some other athletes racing. Um, but we don't want to we don't want to spend the whole podcast on that. Um, but you know, I think your point getting into this is, is really significant. It's like what is similar to Western states? So the cool thing about Western states, like you said, road marathon speed can matter, um, mountain efforts can matter, uh, a combination of them can be killer. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on as we get through. So we're going to break it into top ten men returning, top women, top ten women returning, and then some uh, golden ticket winners, and then some bonus, some grab bag. Yes, um, great. So first top ten men, uh, we'll go through these faster. Uh, Tower Green. Um, last year, he absolutely crushed it. Ice, I remember him in his ice vest bounding through Forest Hill because it's a long aid station. So you're allowed to do aid for a longer period of time. And I was like, oh, motherfucker, that guy's going to you know, pass everybody. Um, he didn't pass Jim Walmsley, but he did finish second. He is such a boss. Also, his partner right now, Rachel Drake, is pregnant. And yeah. I feel like just as I'm feeling that kind of like no fucks swag, I feel like he's got that too. And Granted, so I have a little bit of sympathy pregnancy like fatigue right now myself. So I, maybe that's a thing. I'm not sure. We need to go <laughs> into the science. Um, next up, Drew Holman. Uh, not going to get into him. Uh, next, Cody Lind. He's not on Strava. I couldn't find him. Ultimate uh, Flex. Ultimate Flex. He was 14th at Way Too Cool. Maybe that was a training day for him. Um, you know, I, I think clearly he's great at Western States, so um, watch out there. Next one, I have this underlined as one of my picks, is Tim Tolleson. Hey, you're stealing my pick, too. Oh, is it We'll fight over Tim. Okay, we're, yes. we're in the same page. Um, so, and, and by, again, remember, our picks, we're not allowed to, we're not choosing our athletes uh, because, you know, I think you know who we'd pick. Um, consistent 100-mile weeks with Big Vert training, so smart. Not only that, he won way too cool and um, ran one of the fastest times there, then ran one of the fastest times in American River. Um, and at way too cool, he beat one of the athletes I coached named Eli Hemming, who, based on his numbers, has become one of the top three athletes in the whole world. Um, so Tim is not only fast, he's strong, and his podium to UTMB. Um, I think, you know, Tim is my pick to win this race. He always raced smart. He always raced well, no, smart too. He's my pick to win if I wasn't including soft athletes. Yes. <laughs> I feel like he is not going to be in the lead. Um, they're probably even at Forest Hill, but yeah. watch him, watch for him in the lead coming on the track at Western States because that's how he races. And I think it's going to be smart and play really well. Plus he's got, he's coming back. I mean, he had a little bit of a tough go for himself last year at Western States just in terms of how he felt and he still finished in the top 10. Yeah. And I think he's just going to build off of he's, that experience. He's done it so well too. Like you look back, he was beating me in short mountain races in 2014 back when i was at you know like my peak for that stuff he's really built up in the right way uh next is hayden hawks i also have this one underlined uh i was looking at Strava. stealing mine too oh really yeah okay we're really on the same page probably because i've stolen yours like in our conversations 17 to 20 hour training weeks with a lot of biking interestingly um he did a 50k 60k back-to-back -back race um and he's also just 
one of the best athletes in the world. He's one CCC. Um, you know, I think betting against Hayden is betting against gravity. Like there's just no <laughs> point in doing it. He was in the hurt locker last year yeah. when we saw him. He was really, really hurting. And kudos to him for like gutting it out and finishing and getting top 10. And I think I'll be curious, like he went out hard last year with Jim. And I'm a little bit curious to see what happens when that gym stimulus is removed. Yeah. I think as we talked about it, it's going to change the dynamic of the race. And I think that's actually going to play in Hayden's favor. Good or bad? Good friend? Good for Hayden. Yeah. Okay. I think I think going out that hard might have been tough for Hayden. Yeah. Uh, next up, Kyle Curtin. Uh, he won the Cruel Drill 50 in this build. Um, cool mix of training. I actually don't know Kyle very well, but that's, you know, I think anyone that's finished top in the, 10 in this race, watch out. 10th place last year, really watch. Alex Nichols. He's won big European races before. Um, he clearly didn't have his perfect day last year, but if you've won European races, you're ready to throw down. And so if his training is there, he's damn good to go. Also, interestingly, he's done a big ramp up over the last six weeks, much like Jim Walmsley did last year. It's like kind of condensed. Maybe that works really well. We'll see. Granted, no one can do anything as epic as what Jim Walmsley did last year. Yeah. He didn't start from zero and then go to 140 miles per week, like within the span of a week. No. Yeah. But his his build was really cool. And I think it's it's I'm kind of curious to see how those like the big ramps compared to consistent training. And his he's always training consistently, but he really ramped up and curious to see the impacts of yeah, that. Yeah, and I mean if ultra betting was a thing, which I think it might be soon, um, based on all the amazing things free trial is doing, I might put my like my money on someone like Alex, because I'm not sure, I, I feel like his odds probably wouldn't be as high as they should be. Um, so if you're trying to like cash in, someone like that might be um, the the place to go. Okay, uh, top 10 women. Uh, do you want me to leave these off or do you want to? I'll do it. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm feeling the woman power. Yeah, these yeah. women are boss women and I'm excited to see them throw down. So Ruth Croft, uh, she basically doesn't lose. That's my conclusion yes. on Ruth Croft. She has won so many international races. Actually, I think what I'm curious about is if we had a 10K that was like two weeks before Western States, I'm pretty sure she would win the 10K. And that's kind of fun to think about yeah, that range. Fun. And I think that like running economy applies well to Western States. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. I mean, yeah, she she's underlined for me. Um, I mean, if you better, like Ruth is just an absolute monster. She's won short races, long races, Euro races, um, competed great at Western States last year. An absolute beast. Spe that was like a Dr. Seuss book. Short races, long races, hero <laughs> races. Let's throw in, throw in them all. Speaking of ham and green eggs and ham, I did see in 2019 when Matt Daniels finished fourth, he ate a whole thing of deli ham at Forest Hill. I was impressed. I mean, it's it actually seems like it's got protein, it's got it's got salt. No carbs though. Yeah, yeah. But, but it points out that a lot of different things work. I love Matt. That still to this day haunts me a little bit. Um, next up, speaking of beasts, Brittany Peterson. Um, she is the person that pushed Claire to the very edge back in 2019. She's excelled at this year every single time. In this build, she did 130 mile a week with a 22 miler, 22 miler, a 44 miler, and a 16 miler, all with Vert, most on the course. Um, that was uh, mixed in with a lot of really balanced training. So clearly, she's ready. Um, she, I don't, I think she DNF'd at Canyons 100K, but I don't she think did. that matters. I don't at think all. that matters at all. She also had a, a tough time um, over the UTMB races, but I would, I would underline her too because I would underline her for any race. She's an absolute beast, a monster. Um, she's been top four the last two years at this race, and I think again, experience truly matters, and she's she'll and do well. She's so fast at shorter distances too. Like yeah. you were racing with her at North Face back in 2017, you know? So she's she's got it all, um, so watch out for her. Next up is Katie. Uh, you know, Katie's gonna drop some bombs. <laughs> uh, Emily Emily Hoggood, uh, absolutely incredible person. She has messaged me before just like about some of our athletes that are like in other races, including at Canyons with Anthony Lee. 
and she just lifts me up with joy. And I think she does that for everyone. I am rooting for Emily as just a big fan. And she was training internationally and now she's apparently back training in the States. And I actually think there's a lot of benefit to that. Sometimes I think, you know, it's hard for, um, you know, the U.S. athletes to go over to Europe and perform well. And I think vice versa. Sometimes it's really hard for European athletes to come over to the U.S. Yeah. and perform well. And I think being here in the States will probably give her an added advantage. Yeah, too. I mean, Beth Pascal last year trained on the Western States course. I heard reports of her just absolutely annihilating sections of the show. And people would see her on long runs. And that was how I, I knew she was going to like probably win last year because people were saying um, she is inhuman. Um, and so I think that, you know, anyone that's been out there this year also has an advantage. She took a sabbatical from being a physician to do that. And I'm like, that is one heck of a sabbatical. Oh like, gosh. you know, like when you're yeah. like, it says on your email that you're on leave, it's yeah. like, you should fully describe the extent of what she did on that sabbatical. I feel like that should go down in history. Out of office, uh, colon, crushing bitches. <laughs> uh, next up, Keely Henninger, um, absolute beast. We love Keely. We know her um, very, very well. Um, could definitely see her on the podium. I this could year. see her on the podium. And again, she she raced for her for the first time. Actually, that was her first 100 last year when she wow. did Western yeah, States. Yeah. And I think she'll really build off of that experience. She just threw down at Gorge 50K. Um, and she's, I also think she's fast too. Her floor is very high. I agree. Right, like she's yeah. one of those athletes that make sure she's in your picks. Um, if you if you participate in that. Uh, next up, Casey Lichtig, um, absolute legend of the sport, won this race before. Um, I believe in between these races, she had hamstring surgery, right? She actually recently, I should have gone back and looked at the date of when she had hamstring surgery, but it was impressively close to the training that she's yeah. doing now. In coming off, I had hamstring reconstruction surgery. It's a little bit different than what Casey had, but I was like barely running 10 miles now at the point that she's like running 30 yeah. in preparation for Western States. And to even be on that starting line is a testament to her hustle and her commitment. And she loves Western States more than like, she just, her love and enthusiasm. We talk about all the time that yeah. love and enthusiasm are the greatest things in life and she loves western states so much and it's really cool to see that passion yeah my recommendation she one day yeah she does is to go up and say hi to her i don't overwhelm her but like she is she just lifts everyone up around her go casey uh okay so winners of the golden ticket races arlen glick who won javelino last year i believe or at least got his golden ticket there i'm not sure if he won uh might have been tim um I for, totally forgot that actually blanking, but he has done 24 hour training weeks consistently in this wow. build. I'm really curious to see how that works. And I yeah. think it could, it could work quite well. Yeah. Um, also it might just be totally random and who knows. Yeah. And he's done, I, my favorite run he did is 33 reps of a single hill to get vert in the Midwest. Um, but he's also trained on the course. I think he's kind of like the fancy pick this year. And I have him, I, we're going to do two of these people. I have him underlined because I don't know Arlen, but looking at his training, I'm really fascinated, especially given his ultra context, because training volume doesn't really mean much. But when you put that training volume in the context of his past performances at ultras, you're like, this guy's got something special and we might all see it in a major way. Also, you're pretty kinky. Like you gravitate oh. towards people that are doing like eccentric training and you're yeah. like, I'm going to put my eggs in their basket. I want to yeah, see yeah. what happens to this weird science. Oh, like the, the funny thing is like, I look at Strava for research, right? Because yeah. I want to know what everyone's doing. I want to make sure I'm never letting my athletes down and thinking I know best, right? I want other people know things too. And so I'm looking at his training. Cool. I feel like this is some good research porn right here. <laughs> You're really feeling it. You were, you've talked to me a lot about Arlen Glick's training and I think it's pretty cool. He has a cool name too. Yeah, he does. Uh, next up is John Rea. Uh, he won Bandera 50, uh, 100K ahead of Tyler and he was ahead of Drew at their 50 mile training race. Um, he's clearly great in heat because that training race was hot. He's had really good speed workouts um, and really seems like a rock star. And I'm, he's going to be a rock star in the sport. I'm excited for that. And I think he's going to be, as, as you said, a rock star for years to come yeah. at Western States. Uh, next up, True Heart Brown. He won Black Canyon 100K. Kind of came out of nowhere in that race and ran away from the whole field. I think he's 42 now. Um, and he bikes a ton. He's low run volume. 
could be a fascinating X factor. I mean, Black Canyon race winners always do well at Western States. So I have no idea what to expect. I was fascinated by that. I was just assuming he was a really fast road marathoner. And yeah. then I found out that background and it was like actually surprising to me. But also his name, True Heart Brown. Yeah. That's like the gladiator name of Western States. I feel this like he's going to come to Forest Hill with a sword and be like, <laughs> I'm charging to the finish, but I think he'll do well. He also wears Speedgoat Evos. I saw at Black Canyon. Oh, so bonus points. Bonus points. Oh, you know, a gladiator with Speedgoat Evos. That would be like my dream Halloween costume. It'd be my porn. <laughs> Next up is Adam Peter God, also known as Adam Peterman, uh, who won Canyons. Um, I, I have three things written here that I did want to read because I think they're important statistics. First, he doesn't touch the ground and he may be a superhero. Second, I actually think the next Thor movie stars him. <laughs> and third, I actually pray to him before bed. Uh, so that's my Adam Peter Peterman. That is summary. incredible. And yeah. you have him highlighted. Oh, of course. You should, I mean, have him, you should have him highlighted, starred, asterisk. You should take like a full highlighter to this. So just like obviously his canyons is impressive and insane but at chuckanut he set a 10 minute course record and beat drew and um anthony casales by 10 minutes he's fast he's great endurance i think he's like gonna come onto the scene like jim Wamsley, perhaps um and that'll be interesting how does he race he could change the dynamics of this race he tends to race smart though actually like at yeah. canyons he was really smart he was in second place for a bit of that race for sure um and i think it and then he won by a ton. So I think I think he'll go out smart at Western States and watch but for him at the finish. Western States is a buzzsaw. And yeah, so, you know, yeah. Jim is Jim. I know, and, but he's Adam Peter God. Yeah, but no one else is Jim. Um, and I think I sometimes am like, you know, Jim has made it look so easy and repeatable when he does it that uh, we need to remember that there's a reason that they run this race. That's um, true. And there's a reason Jim's not coming back. He solved it um, for now. And I'm excited to see him do UTV. S sitting here, I'm like sad we didn't name Baby Roach, uh, like, Jim, 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 or Adam. We can change to to. We can we can pivot. Jadam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what else? Yeah, we can we can go into other names. Okay, winners of Golden Ticket races for women. Uh, Camille Heron. Um, she's set basically every record there is to set in flat races. Um, legend of the sport. Um, she's also DNF tier, and then last year had a very long um you know like walk to the finish which i respect actually like i think sometimes as elite athletes it's really easy to just like and i it, it makes sense to some extent like calling it a forest hill if things aren't going well and she finished it out she got it after those t and dnfs and I, I really respect that a lot but she's i mean her repertoire and her resume are like yeah. so good but i think you know i think this is a high mountain race for the first 30 miles and i, th I think that's the place where she's historically struggled so i'm just curious to see like how she will alter her race tactics this is where the balance that. comes in like yeah the speed really matters the ability to withstand the downhills matters a ton and she clearly ha is like has to be the one of your picks if you think she's ready for that i don't i don't know i don't follow her training particularly but um you know i'm rooting for her because when she puts it together i think it's gonna be special uh next up Dominica Stelbach, um, she went for it at Bot Canyon, ended up finishing second behind Claire, who didn't take her ticket this year. Um, the way she went for it there is both scary and exciting. I think I have her underlined because as soon as I saw her do that, I was like, damn, she's going to learn something from this and she's going to be back at Western States and got to watch out for her. So she's one of my picks too. I agree. And she's also had a long time to like, like build on that and modify that. So I'm excited to see what she put down in training. And I actually don't know that much about her though. I don't either. But yeah. I, I just saw her in that race and was like, Damn. I bet you were gonna learn more about her coming up. That's true. For... Uh, next up, Marianne Hogan. Uh, she's when she's on, she's basically unstoppable. Um, she won Bandera this year. She has a pretty relaxed training approach, a lot of cross training. Seems delightful. Um, and yeah, what do you think? I agree. I actually, I she's one of my strong picks actually yeah. to do well. I think she's 
almost if she can pull together if she can like hold you know just stay strong and steady i think she could be a top 10 easily at oh, easily. States. and i think podium actually yeah. perhaps a win even um so really excited to see what she does Dude, we're really on the same page i like it it's kind of scary yeah i think it's i just... mean i guess it makes sense we do all the same strawberry research <laughs> it's true our data our data inputs the same it would uh, be scary if it wasn't <laughs> that's actually true like if we disagreed a lot on this we'd need to be like what are we doing for athletes differently too true. Mm -hmm. to reset okay so now we're going to go through other people that have gotten golden tickets from other things or other entries um camille Bru Ruyas, second at UTMB in 2021, and she's only 29 years old. I don't know much about her, but she's probably going to be a top finisher. Those two data points are like, wow, this could be really good. Second, Anne-Marie Madden. She is, I think she could be an X factor at this race. Um, this is her first 100 mile race. She is smart, fast, speedy. Yeah. Um, also a doctor. I think she could really throw it out. You know, I'm really excited. Some point in the race, I'll get to see her and just like say something really goofy to her because every time we, I see her in a race, I'm just so awkward. And I think all she knows about me is that, oh, that's the guy that says really awkward shit But you're to me. awkward and you go wild. And yeah. I think she enjoy it. I mean, everyone enjoys it. Yeah, she just seemed to enjoy it. That's what I mean. You it's went like, hog wild for her every time. You saw it, it. It's encouraging. It's like, you know, when you encourage a dog and then they get really excited when you come home, that's me seeing her in races. Um, next up, Ellie Pell, um, great athlete. And what I love is she's also the Trails Collective. Follow the Trails Collective. She is lifting up the East Coast runners, the young runners out there, and she's doing amazing work. Um, big, big, big Ellie fans. Um, next up, and I have this name underlined. I'll be curious what you think. Alyssa McDonald from Canada. You go to her ultra sun up. She basically wins every race. She often wins overall. And I think she's a, she's the, she's like my Alex Nichols, the person I would put a big bet on. Mm, the dark and, horse. Yeah, the I big like bet it. on if we were actually betting on this. But that's good. I actually don't know that much about her, so I'm not going to underline her, but yeah. I'm, I trust your dark horse. So and I will I hear, underline by proxy. She's also, Canadian. I was going to say, I'm going to bet on all Canadians. So I'm yeah. going to underline her automatically because she's Canadian. Yeah. Um, rapid fire, Lucia Bueller, fifth at UTMB last year, ROSCO. Um, top five at the Skyrunning World Champs, so clearly strong. Also did well at Canyons. And finally, Taylor Nolan. Okay, side so note on Taylor Nolan, she had the Rim to Rim to Rim FKT. And I think there's a lot of parallels between Rim to Rim to Rim and Western States, given the heat, given the train, given the outsized focus on yeah. downhills. Kat Bradley, you know, previous Western States runner, also a Rim to Rim to Rim record holder. I think Taylor took it from her. Yeah, exactly. So I think it, that it just shows oh, no. there's a lot of crossover. There's something like that. Some, there was, there was like up. someone else. There was someone. I think Sandy Nye was in the middle. Yeah, something They like up. went for it on the exact same day. It's amazing. It was pretty cool. Okay, so I think that's the end for women. Um, we definitely left some off. Sorry about that. Um, for men, Jared Hazen, big X Factor BC, has been second at this race. If he puts it together and he clearly is strong right He's now. He's super steady. But I think it's hard because once you excel here, there's a little bit of pressure and expectations of how things feel. But I have Jared underlined because, again, got to watch out for that boy. Also a cowboy. Yeah, cowboy. Oh, the cowboys. Oh, yeah, they rock it. Um, next up, Sebastian Speller. He won North Face, the 50 mile back when it was the most competitive 50 in the world um, in 2019. Got to watch out for that. That being said, like, I don't know where his training's at right now. So, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I agree. I remember watching him in that race and being like, who is that? Yeah. I haven't seen that person before, but he's clearly good. And I'm excited to see him again at Western States. He's French, I believe. Um, and then next up, Rod Farvard, um, or Favard? Favard. Um, I never met him in person, but Tim Tolson says he's ready to throw down. Um, and Tim is like, really knows. He ran a really fast quad dipsy, I believe. I think he's, I have him underlined as another one of those guys that I am betting on. I watch out for that guy. Um, Scott Traer, a golden ticket from Black Canyon. I hear that he's a great coach, um, oh. which I think is interesting in these races. I feel like really great coaches might have like the X factor of things they understand. They're bringing the science. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Running on science. Um, next up, Cole Watson, 
a blazing fast athlete has whooped my ass before at the 50k national championships. If he puts it together one of these years, you know, it's going to be dangerous. And finally, Jeff Colt, who's kind of surprised getting his ticket from Platte Canyon. And then at the 25 mile that we went to, that we talked about quad rock. He threw down. Yeah. I watched him. We could see the, like the people coming down, down, down the long hill. It was like a one mile hill into the finish. I was like, who is that? Yeah. And it was Jeff just absolutely thrown down. And he was only a little bit behind our athlete, Seth ruling who went on to win the maxi race 85 mile or 85 K in um, France. So clearly strong as hell. And then another guy is uh, Reed Kulisett. He's a 210 marathoner from Canada. Um, he hasn't had the ultra results yet, but clearly can't bet against the 210 marathon. Um, so that's our summary. We told you kind of who we pick there. We're not going to go on the limb and say like one, two, three, but I think you can gather from our updates. Um, just remember, even though we didn't mention the swap athletes since the beginning, they're slotted in at all the top spots. I was spots. gonna say they're one through ten for yeah. each of us. <laughs> even even athletes, we we actually from the men's side can't through fill one through ten. So we're just gonna put the women in there. So that's the elite race. Um for the most part, I'm sure we left people out. Um oh, but, we left a lot of people out. I but, can already guarantee that. Yeah, I mean the main thing I want to emphasize is we like to look at this because it's fun, it's interesting. For all those people that we mentioned, we don't care how you do, we just want you to be happy and fulfilled. Like that's the whole point. Though what is interesting at the elite part of the sport now is now that there's money in it. Some people can like totally change their lives on that one day in June in a way that this sport might not have always had in the past. Like you can go from being a teacher to being a professional for the rest of your life if mm -hmm. you have that day like Cap Bradley did. And that makes it so that this, there's stakes in this that add to the drama and to the and things that are interesting. But that's not what's important. What's important is that people are fulfilled. And so whether you're very first or very last or DNF, like if you're out there, we are so fucking proud of you and we can't wait to be there and cheer. Um, and no matter what, uh, your future is going to be bright and awesome. And it's a prime day for stories too. Yes. I mean, the stories that unfold in this race are just as important to me as the performances. Like, and we love like ultra science and like research yeah. performance, but the stories there are so cool and just are deep on many levels. And I think give yourself that chance to cultivate those stories, but also correction. You said this is a money-making opportunity. Yeah. There's in fact zero money unless, oh, yeah. unless like something has been like changed majorly that I missed out on no prize money at Western States, but lots of sponsorship opportunities. You actually have to pay for your spot. I believe exactly. It's a negative. You can write it, hopefully you can write it off in your taxes. Yeah. But some people will have up to 20 to $30,000 bonuses that are attached to this race yeah, so or even more. So, you know, there is when people are racing for places at the end, uh, there's some extra stakes there. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the big principle of, of all of this is hopefully as we talk about races, we don't get in your head at all that we're thinking that this matters. Um, we just, it's kind of fun in the same way that like watching the NBA championships is fun. Uh, but we're just so proud of you all and love you deeply. That's you know, such a good point. We would do the same with the NBA draft. Yeah. 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 Or the NFL draft. Yeah. I mean, we're doing that right now with the NBA finals with the, the Warriors and the Celtics. So now we're just doing with running because running fucking rocks. And it's a little impossible sometimes. Uh, you want to go on to Listener Corner? Let's do this. I love this Listener Corner. This Listener Corner is also from someone that I've emailed with quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And so it was really fun. I was like, oh, man, this will be a really good one for Listener Corner. But she's an incredible podcast listener. And my heart goes out to her because she's helped me a lot. Awesome. Uh, do you want to read your shot? Um, I'll read it because it's Perfect. special. I would love some swap merch to purchase, but in lieu of that, the Breathe Right Strip is currently working fantastically to identify your fan base. <laughs> As at a last runner standing race last weekend, and I turned to a random gentleman who is also running and said, you must be a David Roach fan. <laughs> Why, yes, I am. How did you know? I said the Breathe Right Strip, of course, he said, always the Breathe Right Strip. <laughs> and then we proceeded to discuss why we love you and Megan for an entire 4.16 miles. Thanks for the smiles and laughter. Love you both. Oh, yeah. Gotta have that olfactory, uh, you know, movement going on. Um, I'm actually curious to, at Western States to see who wears the nose strip. I think 
I think Tyler might wear one. Tyler, wear one just for me. Protect the nares. Yeah, <laughs> the nose needs to be protected. Um, but yeah, we love our listeners so much. Patreon is getting hot and spicy. Well, we, we've gotten so many good comments on there. It's been such a great place to get to interact with people. Yeah. And I've truly loved that element of it. And our Thursday bonus podcasts are just answering questions and getting deep into theory. And then also some topics that we're not comfortable publicly. So uh, patreon.com slash swap, uh, SWAP. And most importantly, no matter win, lose, DNF, anything, we love you deeply and we appreciate you so fucking much. You are the best. Woohoo. Bye.